Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse number 12, Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. I told Reverend Michelle last week, I left out of church, I was exhausted last Sunday. And I was like, that's good though, because you ought to leave out of here tired. There's something about being in the presence of God when you give it all and allow God to fill you back up again. So I pray we leave out of here today exhausted because of the glory of God. Amen, somebody. Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse number 12. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Your version may read differently, but this is the living, breathing word of God. Those of you who wish to find it as well, we're in the Bible app. You click on more, click on events, and you'll find it in the Bible app as well. Um, in a couple of weeks, our website, uh, Steve is working on that, and we'll have that out. We have a podcast that will come out to be able to go back and re-listen to sermons, all of that type of stuff. I'm really excited about where we're headed, church, and uh, this is awesome. And we're going to see a lot of this today in Joel chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious. I want you to underline this and highlight this in your Bible. Why should we turn our hearts to God? For he is gracious, he is compassionate, he is slow to anger, he is abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Verse 14, and who knows, he may turn and leave a blessing. Grain offerings, drink offerings for the Lord your God. Rend your heart, not your garments. I want to put a tag on this text. I won't be before you long today. Simple title, try it again. Try it again. You may be seated even in the presence of the Lord. Try it again. Pentecost is in a couple of weeks in Pentecost for us in scripture ever since the birthing of God's church. For the people at the time in the book of Joel, it was the festival of harvest and was 50 days after Passover. And so Joel now in Joel chapter 2, his work is reminding us of this great tribulation period for the coming of the Lord. The great tribulation period, if you will, was this liminal space, the space in between where they are now and the coming of this great Messiah that Joel speaks about and Zechariah speaks about. And Joel quotes all throughout his book these various prophets because we believe Joel was a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah, the scroll that Ezra read, all of that type of stuff. And so Joel 2 continues Joel chapter 1 and verses 1 through 11. If you have your Bibles, I'm just going to uh, run right through Joel chapter 2. And those of you who have been watching and following along on our devotionals online, we did this earlier this week, and I just want to remind you of how we got to where we are. We were in Joel 1 last week and this week in Joel 2. So verse number 1, imagine, if you will, that God was having a church meeting. And his meeting outlined is verses 1 through 10. And so this is on God's agenda when he's looking at people who are sin-filled, who are against the word of God. Look what he says in verse number 2. In chapter, chapter 2, verse number 2, he says, listen, there's going to be darkness over the land. If you don't turn your heart to me, there is darkness over the land. The darkness over the land is, is sharing this imagery of locusts coming on the day of the Lord. He says there's so many locusts that are going to cover the land because of sin that the day of the Lord is a dark day. We don't turn our hearts from, over to God. Verse number three says this, there is a drought coming. The drought coming, he says here, by the presence of fire. And by the presence of fire, the reason there's fire is because there's no water. For the fire, there's a drought coming because the drought is because of sin. And the presence of fire is because the very visible nature of hell is going to be made known on earth. I want you to see this, that when sin is that powerful in our lives, the very visible nature of hell is manifested on earth instead of the visible nature of heaven. 
verses 4 through 9, God says, here's the third part of his agenda. Third part, God says, don't even try to fight the army, the Assyrian army or the locust, because the army is too quick for you to fight. The text says in verses 4 through 9, that the appearance of sin, I want us to get this, the appearance of sin and a lack of repented hearts means that sin and the locusts are going to have the appearance and the size and the quickness of a horse. And he says, the weapons you have will not wound them. The weapons you have won't even help you because the weapons you have, the army is too quick for you to fight them. And then he says, there is no path the locusts are going to go on that the locusts cannot get to. That the same way that salvation gets to every part of our body, if we allow sin to get into us, sin can get into every part of our body. And then in verse 10, he says, and then if you even think that when it's over, there are lasting effects to sin. That just because the locusts are gone does not mean the locusts don't leave a mark. That's an ugly picture, but church, that's the effects of sin. Whenever we allow sin to overwhelm us, that which is against God, there's darkness, a drought, the arm, sin is too quick for you to fight, and there are lasting effects of sin. But God says something so powerful in verse 11. He says, the reason this is amazing and the reason why Joel was not discouraged by the truth that he received from God is verse 11. God is still great. He executes his word. And God's great day is still for righteous people. I want you to see this, that the second chapter of Joel gives us the blending of this really, really ugly meeting, this moment that God has for his people, that if you're going to stick in sin, this is the picture of sin. But then he says, but this future day of the Lord can look a whole lot different if we turn our hearts over to God. It's very simple. Joel's doing a lot in this book. He's, he's setting up and using a lot of other prophets. And what he did, what a lot of minor prophets did, is they would take a local situation and show the people that it's not just a local situation, it was also a global situation. For Joel, he's speaking to the people of Israel and Judah. And he says here that that's the local situation. If we don't turn our hearts over to God, this is the local issue that there is a great darkness coming and that God will wipe out everything and there's lasting effects of not having harvest. But then he's also speaking to the great global situation. And the global situation that Joel is speaking to is the great tribulation. And what the great tribulation is, is when Jesus comes in, the trouble that we will have as sin-filled people when Jesus comes, meaning that the reason that people were going to fight Jesus when he came in is because Jesus was going to come and wipe out sin. He was going to destroy sin and make sin uncomfortable. And the issue that a lot of people and the people at the time were having with this great Messiah and the issue that even a lot of us have with Jesus is that Jesus comes into the room and he wipes out sin. And if you are comfortable with sin, you are going to be uncomfortable with the presence of Jesus. I'm going to just say this because if we don't get this, this whole sermon is mute. If we are comfortable with sin, you are uncomfortable with the one who destroys sin. If you are comfortable with what's against God, you are uncomfortable. And that's why sometimes church services are so difficult because we're comfortable with sin. I ain't scared of none of y'all. I said the reason sometimes that we cannot get through praise and worship and preaching is difficult and we can't because we are comfortable in sin. And so when Jesus walks into the room, we'd rather kick Jesus out because we like holding on to sin. So Joel says, yeah, Deacon Madison, it should make you quiver. Joel says, 
when we spend this time in these verses, that whenever we are more comfortable with sin, we are not comfortable with the presence of Jesus. And so these locusts came, and what Joel is showing us in Joel's chapter 2 is that before sin came into the world, God gifted us, don't forget this church, with the Garden of Eden. He gave us We were naked and unashamed, didn't even know we were naked because we had everything we had. But then we made a decision. Adam made a decision to get silent, and he did not not tell Eve the revelation that God gave him. And because we got comfortable with sin, shame came into the world. It's a powerful question that God asked Adam and Eve. He said, who told you you were naked? Because this whole time you were fine as you were, but as soon as shame came in, now we got to cover ourselves up. Ah, and with all of that, Joel chapter 2, verse 11, 12 through 14, he asks this question, who can abide on the great day of tribulation? I'm going to tell you this, the answer is in the book of Revelation. John the Revelator says this, those who have a seal on their heads. I'm just preaching Bible today. He says, those individuals who have a seal on their head is a representation of a relationship with God and a repentant heart to be the ones who can endure the great day of tribulation. Let me tell you something. No amount of prayer and fasting is going to stop the great day of tribulation. No amount of supplication or acts of kindness will take away, watch this, when God wipes out anything that's against him. But here's the good news. God will wipe out sin, but he won't take your life. See, the good news somebody ought to have today is that with all the sin you know you've committed, God wiped out the sin, but he didn't take your life. Matter of fact, if you're looking for a place to shout, let me give you a shout. God allowed the storm, but he controlled the storm. That ought to make somebody run around the church. I said, God allowed the storm, but he controlled the storm. And the place for a whole bunch of us to give God glory is that God allowed it, but he's still in control. You should have lost your mind a long time ago, but God's still in control. You should have lost your peace a long time ago, but God is in control. And that God will let things come to wipe out sin because God allowed the storm, but he controlled the storm. And thanks be to God that even on my worst day, God... God is still in control. And with all of that, we get to this text. God's in control. God equips us through his word. God grabs a hold of the people. And who can stand on the great day of tribulation? Those who are righteous. Well, God, what does it mean to be righteous? I mean, what I wear, I got to wear all white, got to wear all black. God says, no, let me tell you what it means to have a righteous, repentant Heart. That's verses 12 through 14. I promise you, all I got is the Bible, y'all. Verses 12 through 14. He says here, God says, if you want to endure the great day of tribulation, the locust coming in, if you want to get rid of the sin in your life, God says, and be marked with the seal, turn your heart, fast, weep. Verse 13, tear your heart, not your garments. Why? Because God is gracious, God is merciful. God is slow to anger, and God is full of kindness. I, I, I can't wait till we get to a point where we can just shout on the gospel, because if I ain't got to say nothing else right there, y'all. You wonder why in the world you can make it through next week, because God is gracious, God is merciful, God is slow to anger, and God is full of kindness. I'm going to just say it, because I could dress that up. I could give you all these funny little sayings and stuff. But if there's something you ought to be thanking God for, the reason you know that life is not going to kill you, God is gracious. God is merciful, God is slow to anger, and God is full of kindness. 
I'm waiting for some of y'all to break the pew around you. I said, the reason you can make it next week, God is gracious, God is merciful, God is slow to anger, and God is full of kindness. I'm going to wait till y'all catch it. The reason that that sin will not destroy you, the reason that sin did not destroy your marriage, the reason that sin did not destroy your reputation, the reason you are not on the front page of the paper, the reason you are not locked up in somebody's prison, the reason why your children call you blessed is because God is gracious, God is merciful, God is slow to anger. I'm looking for some mercy-covered, grace-covered people who can thank God right now that God is gracious, God is merciful, God is slow to anger, and he's full of kindness. That's in my Bible. I don't know what's in yours. That's in my Bible. And God says, if you want to stand on that great day when the locust or the army comes in, God says, you got to do one thing. Turn your heart, fast, weep, tear your heart, and don't tear your garments. And who knows, the Lord may relent. E.K., what's so interesting to me is God says the way through this period is to follow the directions I gave you the last time. Because <laughs> sometimes God will repeat the same directions to see if you were listening the first time. Some of you are waiting for God to give you a new word. And here's the revelation I want to give you as the pastor in this moment. Maybe your new word is trusting the old word. Oh, God told you to stop texting them. You keep texting. God told you to quit and you keep working. God told you to move. He tells the people, fast and pray. Because I'm not giving you new directions. I want to see, do you trust the same old directions? The reason we keep going through the same storm is you're not learning the lesson from the old storm. God says, if you want to get through it, all I need you to do is trust me, fast, and pray. And then he adds this one little hitch, and tear your heart. Don't tear your garments. Let me give you two quick things really quickly. Number one, don't mess up your next season because you didn't learn from your last season. I'm trying to help somebody today. Don't mess up your next because you didn't learn the lesson from your last one. I'll give you something else. Don't mess up your next season because you're dragging artifacts from your last season. Oh, that's so good. You know, tradition means frozen success. Uh-huh. And the reason we can't see new success is you're dragging frozen success into places where God's trying to show you something that's why people couldn't stand Jesus. They didn't like that the Messiah was coming in a way that they didn't like the way the Messiah came. And so they were trying, to, that's why Judas betrayed him, because he was so frustrated that Jesus wasn't the picture of Jesus, that Judas wanted Jesus to be. And Jesus came along and said, but I am the way. And Judas said, I don't like the way that you're taking me, because he brought old success into brand new success. Let me give you something else. Don't get so caught up in where you're going that you don't finish the task where you are. He tells them, pray fast, tear your heart. Because there's going to be a great harvest. But if you don't pray fast and tear your heart now, you'll miss out the harvest. So what does all this mean? God wanted his people, verse 13, to tear their hearts and not to tear their garments. Mosaic law forbade the prophets from tearing their garments 
because it was, it was shown to be a fanatic thing if they tear their garments. And God said the tear, the ripping, the rending I wanted was not some showy outward experience and gesture. God says, I wanted your hearts to be torn. Here's why. When sin gets comfortable in your heart, sin cuts God's heart to the core. And Joel says, if you just tear your clothes, everybody will leave and said y'all had church. If you tear your clothes, that's just an outward show. But God says, I want, I want you to tear your inward affection because you've set your affection on things that are not lovely. You set your affection on superficial things. And so it was commonplace for superficial sorrow to tear their clothes. But Joel says, when you know the real effects of sin, you realize that when we consistently fall into traps of sin, sin cuts God's heart to the core. That's why Bonhoeffer said that when Jesus was on the cross, God turned his back to his own son. Sin is so ugly that God said, I can't even look at it because sin breaks the father's heart. So Joel says, do you trust sin or do you trust the depth of grace? Tear your heart and trust that in the tearing, grace is going to bring it back together again. Oh, my God. A truly penitent heart is a broken and contrite heart. A penitent heart rips up and has a narrow search into the recesses of your heart to discover the abominations that you know are against God. And you pour it out to God knowing that God will take your sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west. The reason some of us cannot move forward is that you keep remembering things that God has forgotten. You keep talking to yourself about stuff that God threw away. And God says, but if you rip your heart of all of the things that you know are against me, you can finally trust the grace that comes by the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus. This is the spiritual circumcision that Moses told the people about. This is what Jeremiah E.K. was talking about in Jeremiah 9, where he said, cast out your sin and cast out your passion, because if you really want to understand grace, you don't need anybody else to lay hands on you. Joel says, just tear your heart. You open yourself up for grace. Can God, is there room in your heart for grace? Maybe the reason why we can't stand so many people is that you've got so much anger in your heart. God says, tear your heart. Change your heart. Rend your heart. Tear up your heart. And let grace come back into your heart. Who and what have you given access to your heart that's outside of the will of God? How have you, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. How have you manipulated scripture to benefit your ego? Oh, yeah, I'm in it now. <laughs> Why does any one person have any authority to dictate how you worship? Some of y'all still can't listen to preaching. Because you can't stand me. Some of y'all still won't even won't, won't engage with people in church. How does any one person have the authority to take your focus off Jesus? Oh, I'm, I'm in it now. Why is the gospel only good enough to tear down people but not good enough to build up somebody? I ain't scared of none of y'all. He says, tear up your heart. 
Tear your heart from your pessimistic thinking. Tear your heart from your negative worship. Tear your heart from your ego. Tear your heart from what separates God's children. Tear your heart from what's against the gospel because God says, I don't want your worship. I want your heart. Because your heart rejects the poor, and he says, I love the poor. Your heart rejects the widow, and he says, I love the widow. Your heart rejects my narrative, and you don't want my story. God says, how much do you love me? Then get rid of your malice. Get rid of your anger. Get rid of your long-suffering. Get rid of your frustration. Get rid of it and allow grace to overwhelm you. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Because let me... Can I shout you? I'm almost done. I, I told, I joked with my wife last week. I said I had, I was having fun preaching my first month. Now I'm pastoring this month. Because here's what happens, church. And I promise you, it'll mess up California if we do this one thing. It'll mess up California. Y'all miss it. I didn't talk about Vallejo. I'm not talking. I said if we do this, y'all, it'll mess up California. Because here's the good news, Deacon Kelly. Verse 14 says, if we tear our hearts, God will change his mind. Y'all missed it. If we turn our hearts to God, the narrative that should happen won't happen, and God will change his mind. The reason a whole lot of us ought to thank God is that you serve a God who changed his mind. If we honestly lament, God will change his mind. If we honestly repent, God will change his mind. And the narrative the world wrote about you will not happen because God says... I'll change my mind. He tells the prophets, don't tear your clothes. I want you to look like sin. Don't tear your clothes. I want you to feel the effects of sin. Don't tear your clothes. I want you to get on your knees and look foolish on your knees. Don't tear your clothes. I want you to lay prostrate and look like death so I can give you new life. Because God is not trying to embarrass you. He wants you to look like him. God is not trying to put you on front street. He's trying to put his name on stages. God is trying to get you to the same heartbeat his heart and if you beat with God's heartbeat God will change his mind if you don't believe me Jonah ran from God Jonah said, I'm going to commit suicide because I don't want to do what God told me to do. But in Jonah chapter 3, when he gave his heart over to God, God changed his mind. And Jonah preached one sermon in Nineveh and saved a whole country. Somebody ought to give God glory that you serve a God that with all the skeletons in your closet, all the negative text messages you sent somebody, all the negative statuses you wrote about somebody, all the phone calls you gossiped about someone, that if you turn your heart over to God, God will change his mind. God will relent from it. Why? Because he's gracious. I wish I had somebody. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. And he's full of kindness. If I got up here and promised you that if you turned around 18 times, God was going to fill your bank account, y'all be turning like crazy. Somebody, if you really want to see God fill your bank account, if you really want to see God fill your marriage, if you really want to see God change your children, the shout that every person ought to have right now is if I turn my heart to God, God will change his mind, and the death that was knocking at my door will not come in my door. The anxiety that was at my job will have to leave my job. The frustration that was in my heart will have to come out of my heart because God will change his mind. It's amazing. We want God's heart for our communities, our jobs, 
our bodies. We want God to change things in our world, but we won't change our hearts. So you want a different harvest, but you sow in the same seed. Okay, let me give you a secret. You will never grow apple trees if you keep planting pumpkin seeds. Okay, you won't reap marriage if you keep sowing single seeds. Why you got 14 different emails and six phones? Talking about you married. Oh, I'm in your kitchen making Kool-Aid. You will not be successful in college if you treat college like high school. You will not get promotion if you sow lazy seeds. God says, I'll change my mind. What you got to do? Sow the right seed. How? Turn your heart. Tear your heart. Don't tear your garments. And maybe, just maybe, the judgment you should have received will never come to you. And the judgment that we know sin should do to us, here's the shout. You'll watch it and not deal with it. (laughs) I'd rather watch God work than be a part of the work. God, I wish I, because God never told me to be in it. He never told me to fight. He told me to be still and know that I am God. And because he's God, if I stay still, God will fight my battle. believe me, I'll show you in the scriptures. Look at verse number 14. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing. He'll give you grain offerings and drink offerings from the Lord your God. God says, if you trust me, if you tear your heart, if that doesn't shout you, keep your Bibles open. Let me tell you where it happens. Because they turned their heart, go down to verse number 18 of chapter 2. Go down to verse number 18. I'm going to show you this and I'm, I'm done. God says, because they tried God again, Because they teared their hearts, because they repented, look what God did in verse number 18. Then the Lord was jealous for his people. He took pity on his people. And he said, I'm sending you new grain. I'm sending you new wine. I'm sending you new oil. Okay, verse 14 says, if we turn, he'll send you new grain and new offering. Verse 18 says, and because they turned, he sent them new grain, new wine, new oil, and I'll never make you the object of scorn to the nations. If that doesn't shout, you go down to verse number 25. You remember all those locusts that came in? Verse 25 says, and then I'll repay you for the years the locusts ate away. That devouring locust in chapter 1, I'll repay you. That young locust in chapter 1, I'll restore you. The other locust, I'm going to do it. That I will send an army on your behalf to restore you the same way I sent an army to remove things from you. That if you, my grandma put it like this, if you trust in him and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. That if you trust in God, he will do what God said he will do. He says, if you turn, I will. And because they turned, he did. I want to remind you as I finish today, remember who your God is. Your God is not your job. Your God is not your ego. Your God is not your past. Your God is not somebody's thoughts about you. Your God is not your age. Your God is your God. Because God has dominion in your life, not your sin. God has dominion in your life, not your fear. 
God has dominion in your life, not your past. And if you trust God and embrace grace, you can trust freedom and know that if I trust God, he will come through. And if I scream that, a whole bunch of us will be running. I'm going to say it again because the only reason a whole bunch of us are here today is that you can testify that because you trusted in God, you came this far by faith, leaning on his word. And if you trusted him last time, why not trust him this time? We uh, drove from Rhode Island to California, and I remember when I first got here, my wife called me. I was in the middle of the mountains coming uh, and got a phone call from my wife that she's surprising me to come on my first Sunday here. So I was like cool in the game. I'm so excited to get to see my wife and my son. They were flying out here to be with me on my first Sunday here back in April. And so y'all, I went and uh, my wife was flying into San Francisco. So I drove to San Francisco and I was tired because I've been on the road for like five days straight. And I dropped my stuff off and ran to San Francisco. And I said, and her flight was delayed. So I said, fine. I was charging my phone and I was sitting in my car. I turned my car off, but I kept the charger on and your boy went to sleep. I just went to sleep because I was tired. And so I sat there, y'all, and then all of a sudden, I tried to start my car, and my wife landed dead. I was like, oh my God, right? So I'm sitting here like, I didn't know what to do. It was like one o'clock in the morning. All this, my wife's calling, where are you? So she had my location to come to the cell phone lot. She got there and I didn't have any jumper cables. And so she called AAA, she said, AAA, we need your help. Can you come out to us? I said, sure. So the guy got there and I looked at him, I said, sir, all I need is a jump. That's all I need. I just need, I need a jump. I need a jump. And so the brother man said, cool. So what he did was, y'all, he pulled this car up close to my car, popped the hood, and he saw my battery. He said, sir, what happened? I said, man, I was on a long journey. Long journey I was on, I think, worked the battery over. I said, finally, he said, you need to give the battery a west, but don't worry, I'll give you the jump you need. So he took his positive, connected it to my negative. Um, and he went back in his car. He said, sir, get behind the car and try starting your car. So try starting my car. Didn't work. He said, hold, let me check the connection because a bad connection won't give you the power even though you're connected to the right source. And so, y'all, he took his positive, adjusted it to my negative, and he told me three words. I'm about to shout out of my own shoes. He said, all you got to do is try it again because he knew the power was on him. And all he was trying to do was do it for me. And so, y'all, when I tried it again, the positive that he had connected to my negative. And when I tried it again, my car started. I came to tell somebody, in spite of what you've gone through this past year, try it again because you're connected to the right source. Try it. I wish I had somebody. Your job ain't over. Your marriage ain't over. Try God again. Try shouting again. Try giving him glory again because I promise you, they that wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like an eagle. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Go ahead, high five somebody and say you sat on the right pew to try it again. Try giving him glory again. Try giving him praise again. Try showing up to church again. Because if you try Jesus, he will come through. Is there anybody in this building that can help me close this sermon? Stand on your feet and try praising him again. Try giving him glory again. Try lifting your hands again. Try lifting your voice again. Try giving him praise again. Because every time I turn around, 
He keeps on blessing me, keeps on restoring me, keeps on keeping me, keeps on healing me, keeps on blessing me. Is there anybody in the building that can help me close this sermon? Lift up your hands, lift up your voice, and try it again, try it again, try it again. And he may not come when you want him to come, but if you try it again, he'll show up right on time. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Try it again. Come on, encourage somebody. Tell them, try it again. Try church again. Try Jesus again. Try worship again. Try shouting again. Try reading your Bible again. Try it again. And I promise you, I promise you, oh, Mary had a little lamb. I promise you, if you try Jesus, if you try Jesus, don't try me because he'll come through. Try Jesus. I wish I had. Don't try me because he'll heal your body. Try Jesus. Don't try me because he'll bring you out. Try Jesus. Don't try me because he'll open doors if you trust in Jesus.